welcome to Your Health Hustle Show, the podcast that gathers health, nutrition, fitness, and wellness intelligence, then giving you total access to it all. Stay tuned to your own potential, create that world-class day, and simply be incredible. From there, it was a big transition. It was about changing my lifestyle, changing the way I ate, changing the way I exercised, changing the way I thought about life. Listen, as hustlers, my guest today, we are, we could have flown him in, but getting a private jet for this guy is really costing a fortune when it ate into a budget, big style. Please welcome Your Health Hustle Show listeners to a really fantastic Brooklyn coach, sensei, who was really, really tearing up New York for fitness. Welcome listeners, Coach Ricky Ricardo Taylor. Have I got that right? Oh, you got it. You got it. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you having me. Is there anything else I missed off on there in the introduction, which no, we should be aware? No. It's probably one of the best intros I've ever gotten. I'm telling you, you deserve such a great introduction. Coach Ricky, how's life in Brooklyn? I mean, life in Brooklyn is busy. It's as much as people around the world believe. It's, you know, the city that never sleeps. Things are always going on, but uh, it's definitely a place to to make haven where my, my, my big plans. A Nets fan? Uh, no, actually, no. The funny thing is, I was born in the West Coast. I was born over right. in, uh, yeah, I was born over in LA. So I'm actually an LA fan. Clippers? Lakers? The Lakers, yeah. Lakers, oh, ooh, not saying too much about that. I know. <laughs> Believe me, I know. It's your neighbors further up the Bay Area that seems to be kicking it in the NBA at the moment. But yeah, uh, yeah you know what? You got to support, regardless of your of your preference, you got to support talent. So I'm supporting the talent, but I'm still a Laker fan at heart. Oh, man, great stuff. So, Coach Ricky, is it okay to call you Coach Ricky or a sincere Ricky? Which do you prefer? Uh, you can call me Coach Ricky. Coach Ricky. Thank you so very much for being on here. Can we have um, just a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, I am a type 1 diabetic. I've been type 1 diabetic since I was three years old. Um, I went into a diabetic coma at the age of almost four for about, for about three weeks. Yeah. Whoa. And that definitely changes your life. You know, uh, not just and even at that young of age, you were aware of the change. Yes. Um, what had happened was my mother tried to wake me up for preschool because at that age, you're, you know, you're going to daycare. And unfortunately, I was not waking up and she brought me to the hospital. And when I got there, my sugar level was over 1000. And yeah, oh, very scary, scary thing. I was completely out. So I don't really remember any of it. But um, I do remember waking up and. They told me, hey, by the way, you know, you were in a diabetic coma and you have diabetes now. And of course, you're three and a half. You're like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And it, from there, it was a big transition. It was about changing my lifestyle, changing the way I ate, changing the way I exercised, changing the way I thought about life. And luckily for me, I had a mother who was very, very strong and very committed to my health and success that she made sure she trained me properly. She made sure that I was independent in the sense where I didn't need to rely on anybody around me to get my insulin taken, to pack my meals, to make my snacks, eat at the right times. Was it easy? Most definitely not. You know, you're a kid, you know, you want ice cream, you want candy, you want... You want fun. You, yeah, yeah, you want fun. Yeah, definitely. And it was hard, you know, going to baseball, basketball games and not being able to buy caramel corn or not being able to buy, you know, regular soda like everybody else. What all your friends were eating, yeah. Yeah, Oreos and cookies, and you're sitting there with cheese and crackers. You're like, eh. But it definitely worked out for the best. And I have to say that at that age, I was pretty lucky considering that I got it so young. Because when you're older and you're in your you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, you're already set in your way. You've already created a lifestyle for yourself. So it's a very hard blow to be able to transform your life and understand that now my health comes first because you're already set in the way you live. But at three years old, you don't have a lifestyle yet. You do what mommy tells you to do. So I, I feel blessed in that sense that it did come along early enough in life where I was able to take it and make it mine as opposed to it making me the victim. Yeah. So even at that early age, were you, did you find it strange to be, were your friends strange? Were you growing up? Was, was it was it something you felt alienated from? Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, growing up, a lot of people didn't understand what diabetes was. Even to this day, people still don't really understand the difference between type one and type two. Yeah. People don't understand that it's not about sugar. It's actually just about an autoimmune disease. It's your body unable to create the hormone insulin 
that your body needs to survive and needs to break down the carbs, starches, and sugars in your system. It's not really about, oh, you ate too much sugar because that's, unfortunately, that's a mm-hmm. perpetuated myth amongst the world. You ate too much sugar. You can't have sugar. No, that's not the case. It's just not type one. No, no, yeah, no, not at all. You know, it's just kind of like saying all karate guys are Bruce Lee and go, wah. It's not true. We don't all do that. <laughs> Most of us do, but not all of us do. You know, but honestly speaking, I have to say that with that idea in mind, at this age now, I feel like it's important to educate the world. Back then, you didn't have the means, you didn't have the vocabulary, you didn't have the experience yet. After yeah. 27 years, I'm going on to you know 27 years. It's been quite a ride, but yet now I have the ability to help others and spread my story so that I can let others know, listen, you can do it. How do you feel about the value that you give back? How does that make you feel as a person knowing that you're giving back? It feels feels amazing because I think about what I would have wanted. I think about what would have helped me going through those times. Just a a reminder, you got this. Just a reminder that you're going to be okay. Just a reminder that, you know, you've been given this. You can call it a gift. You can call it a curse. You can call it a blessing. Everybody has their own preferences, but you've been candid this because you are capable of dealing with it. I don't want to infringe on anybody's religious views, but whatever higher power thou believes in, I believe that we are given these things in our path, these obstacles, these courses, because we're meant to ride them. We're meant to hold on to them and create something out of them. And I truly do believe that I was handed this gift, which back then, of course, you don't see it as a gift or when you're struggling, you don't see it. No, definitely not. But you, I was handed this so that I can transform it, transmutate it. You took immediate action, even at that young age. Is that correct? Well, at that young age, I didn't understand. So I was just following along, you know, and there were moments, especially in middle school and early high school, I lived in the hospital. I, my case is very brittle. I would spike at all times, no matter what my endocrinologist or my doctor would change my sighting scale, change my regimen, change my long lasting, change my insulin altogether. My, Diabetes was just so hard to maintain. Even even at the point where I was ready, I was really, you know, diligent with my diet, it was still super difficult. And I would go into DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, where the blood sugars are so high that the ketones are spilling out of the blood into the ur- into the blood, into the urine, and could definitely cause detrimental, you know, issues for any diabetic. And, and that could have happened at any time. Yeah, at any time. Just yeah. it goes too wow. high, doesn't get brought down, and you're in DKA. Which, and I spend, I would spend weeks in the hospital because they couldn't control it. And then because they couldn't control it, it would affect other organs, it would affect other areas, and it was, it was, it was, it was hard, you know. And in middle school, I spent a lot of time doing homework in the hospital, you know, because I was just that kind of student. I've always have been dedicated and. Yeah, send me my homework. My mother would get my homework and bring it to me. And they'd see me. It, it was so bad that I knew the nurse's work schedule. I knew when they'd be switching off. I knew the menu for the week. I knew if I went into DK on Friday, I was going to have pot roast for dinner. I knew <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. But I have to laugh at it now because it's like, wow, that's how much I was there. You know, and I definitely feel like it happened because it was meant to find my way. You know, all this was built to help me find my way. So that's making you the person you are today. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, I also, like I said, I had also a very strong foundation. My mother was everything, you know, she oh, that's great. supported me. She guided me up to this day. Even she's very, very supportive and always make sure I'm on point, you know, and is she still bringing any homework to you? Just making sure you get that homework. Uh, you know, at this age, it's life homework. Life work. Teaching me lessons even to this day, you know. We've got to go hard and we've got to go along on these things. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's no, there's no quick fix. There's no quick remedy. Unfortunately, no. Um, in, in the pharmaceutical world, everyone is very aware that there is no cure right now. And yeah. they don't see a cure happening for quite some time. You know, they, they send teachers out and all these, you know, upcoming new products and all these upcoming new ideas. And it's all beautiful, you know, great. But this is autoimmune. This is something that's very, very, very 
you know, difficult. It's an everyday thing. It's not something that you can just pass by or, you know, skip for a day. It's something that's going to be with you for a very long time. Was there any point did you think, do you, I say to your mom, why me? I did. I definitely did. Yeah. You know, I used to get bullied a lot. Oh, in middle man. school, that, that B word, that bully word. Oh, yeah, it's a horrible. It's a horrible. It word. really is, especially nowadays when it's being abused so vigorously. Yes. It's, it's it's disgusting. But I know I was teased a lot because the te- the kids would see me eating when I when everybody else couldn't, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. why are you eating? Oh, you're a fatty. You're you're this. You're that." And I'm like, um, "I'm diabetic, and if I don't eat, I'm gonna die." No, you're a liar. You're just fat. You're just always hungry. And I'm like, "Okay, fine. I'm fat." You know. And I was kind of chunky in middle school, you know, until eighth grade. I was a pretty chunky kid for most of my life. Hey, coach, same. Yeah, I still am chunky. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, went through. And what I found out, sorry to interrupt, what I found out, like, as a chunky kid at school, you, you did stand out a bit definitely, more. Definitely, most definitely. And it, it made it very difficult to get by. It made it hard to make friends and made it hard to keep friends, you know, because kids are so easily influenced. And they go yeah. with the next trend. They, they go whatever's trending. So if there's a group of four people making fun of you, that four becomes six, becomes 12, becomes 30. And now you have a whole class of people just kind of picking up. Well, you have the whole play, play yard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it must, it must have been horrible. It was, it was terrible. And then in that time when I would end up in the hospital, I would look at my mother and be like, why? Like, if they knew what I was going through right now, they wouldn't make fun of me. If they knew that I was in a hospital for a week, with needles in my arms, being pricked left and right, being, you know, sent back and forth to, to x-rays and all these EKGs. And they wouldn't make fun of me if they knew what it was. And that was a big incentive for me was to educate those so that it wasn't something to make fun of. Did you start educating those horrible bullies early then? Did anyone ever take any notice? You know, at first, no. But then it was funny because I was the first diabetic in... New York, actually, I think overall that created the uh, 504 forms. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, no, please tell um, The 504 forms are forms that a child in school has to get signed by their parent and doctor so that a nurse can administer their medication. Because oh, yeah. back when I was diabetic in elementary school, the nurse was not qualified or certified to give insulin or take my sugar level. She was only allowed to give ice or Band-Aids. And right, struggle right. because my mother had to run from work and come to take my sugar level, then go back to work, then come to take my sugar level and go back to work. And it was rough. You know, that's hard because she's trying to she's trying to make a living for me, but she has to leave work to make to run to my schools to take my sugar level and give me insulin. It was a rough pass and they wouldn't allow me to do it because they thought I was too young. So it was it was hard. And my mother had spoken to the Board of Ed, had spoken to you know, SSI and, you know, my doctors and they got together and we, we were the family that created the 504 form. So now every school child who has an autoimmune disease or any type of deficiency that involves medication, they are now allowed to administer it to the child. That's fantastic. It was beautiful. It was great. And that's all you're doing. Yeah. You know, it was my mother fighting hard, but definitely my case made a big difference. And a few years later in middle school, after it had gotten, just terrible with my diabetes and even with the activity. I've always been active. I've always been in baseball, basketball, and then, of course, the martial arts. And it was never a lack of activity. It was just the insulin and the change of insulin and the brittleness of the situation. They finally qualified me for the insulin pump. And I ended up being the first child in Brooklyn, in New York, I think at all, with the insulin pump. So it was interesting to have this... 12-year-old kid coaching other doctors and endocrinologists because they weren't familiar with it very well because that was the first case. So me and my endocrinologist would travel to, you know, the Bronx and Manhattan and all over the, all over New York to kind of teach other doctors and their patients how to utilize the pump, what it does, how it's helped. And it was it was quite an amazing experience for me because it it was a first step well, I guess second step to me really being able to spread the knowledge of what diabetes is. You sound so natural in your um, observation and so natural in your teaching. Is that what you felt? At first, no, of course not at all. I was just, I was just trying to learn it myself, but I've always been very quick to grasp things. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I, 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 learned, I learned this very quickly. So with that, it was just more so about math, which I never liked math to be honest, but at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to your life, I think you learn to pick it up 
really quickly. So I, at that point, it was just more so, how am I going to use this to keep me on top? So with this type 1 diabetes, that must have been an extremely scary time for both yourself. It and definitely your was. It definitely was. But it also created a bond that will, can never be surmounted. It was just an amazing bond. Tell me about your mom. Uh, she herself, she's um, a hardworking woman. She's been working since she was in her teens. And um, she definitely dedicated her life to her children. I have a younger brother as well. He's um, 23 now. And um, he's, he's well, he grew up with, with asthma. So she had two kids who were dealing with issues that were very hard to deal with. You know, it was hard for him to be active. It was hard for him to run around and play because his asthma was very severe at his age. And he was always on the nebulizer, always on his pumps. And it acted up very, very frequently. Luckily, and th- thankfully, he grew out of it. So she she dealt with quite a lot. She dealt with quite a lot growing up and it made her stronger, but she took that strength and empowered me and my brother to know that we were never victims and that whatever the higher power had planned for us, we were capable and strong enough to handle and maneuver. That's a beautiful way to put things. So big up to mom, yeah. Kudos to mom. Definitely on point from the word go. Definitely. So you think we had type one diabetes and you said you were an active kid. Did you think but at some point, you might not be able to cut out for a life of um, for what you've turned your hand to now. Martin. You know, I never thought that up until at least three years ago when I actually went blind. Um, about three years ago, I lost my vision in my right eye. Are you are you okay to speak about yes, this? Yeah, you know, I don't want to sound as if I'm you know pouring any more fuel. No, in no, if, really, if, if you're comfortable, the more people yeah. I can reach with this, the better chance they have of not allowing it to happen to them. And hopefully they can take the maneuvers and measures necessary to avoid going through what I had to go through. I, about three years ago, I lost my vision in my right eye. It was a detached retina due to diabetic retinopathy, which is when the diabetes basically attacks the organs in your body, specifically the eye. And the nerves in the eye become very weak and brittle. So immunity, your immune system creates new blood vessels but because your body's not meant to do that, it kind of, the blood vessels are very weak and brittle. So they rupture right. on their own and causes blood to end up in the eye. You know, you're hemorrhaging, basically. Your eye's hemorrhaging. And the hemorrhaged blood causes blurry vision and blindness. But the worst part is when there's enough blood, it lifts the retina out of its place and causes the vision to completely go. And I didn't realize it was happening until the end of the year. And in December, they took me in, they did a sonogram, they did all these tests. And they're like, listen, your retina is attached. And there's so much blood in the eye, we can't even see how detached it is. Whoa. And this is all down to type 1 diabetes, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And it's just crazy because I didn't have the pump at this time. Unfortunately, I know all my diabetics and those with need to have insurance out there know the struggle it is to have insurance and to keep insurance. The insulin pump gear was just too expensive at that point, and I wasn't being covered enough to be able to purchase all my gear. So I ended up having to right. stop using the pump. I went back to manual, and my body, to my, in my opinion, my body wasn't ready to go from such a big jump from getting insulin 24-7 to now getting it only when I gave the manual shots. And it was a rough transition and it put my body through a lot of hell, you know, excuse my French, but it went, I went through a lot of turmoil in those years because now I was fighting to build myself back up. And I really do believe that was one of the causes of the retinopathy was that I was struggling to balance my sugar levels without the pump anymore. At that point, they did a surgery, they went in, they... Found, they cleared the blood, but unfortunately, there was so much scar tissue that they really weren't able to repair the retina. So the, their goal was just to keep the retina in place, which it worked. And then three months later, it detached again. So at that point, the scarring was just too much. And right now, they're, I'm still blind in my right eye, but they do see hope for it. But at that point, there was no there was no really saving it. So now their biggest concern was, let's make sure the left eye is okay. And a year yeah. later, mm-hmm. I was competing in a national competition, a NASCAR competition over in Philadelphia. And the blurriness got so bad. And I literally couldn't see. I was, I was blind. I couldn't see. I almost fell off the stage I was performing on. 
And my coach had to walk me off the stage and he was like, listen, you need to, you need to stop doing this. And at that point, at that point is when I questioned is the martial arts, is my path, is this going to change everything? Is this going to, am I going to be able to continue teaching? Am I going to be able to work out and train? Everything, all the questions coming at once. How do you adapt? Well, it was very difficult, you know, not being able to see because your job is to be able to punch and kick and hold for children. And it's extremely visual. Yeah, it's all job, visual. Yeah. It's very visual. It's very, you know, exert, exerting on the eyes. And I questioned everything. I definitely questioned everything. But adapting was the roughest thing because I walked around with these big shades because once they did clear the eye, they, luckily they were able to go into the left eye, completely clear it out after like three months of trying to avoid surgery because as a diabetic, you want to avoid surgery as much as possible because there's so many complications that are, occur in diabetes. Healing takes longer. You know, certain vessels don't, you know, heal the same way. And they were really concerned about the surgery altogether because it could take my vision completely. So it took about two, three months of just testing. And they went for laser vision. They did injections. They did, you know, they did so much. The, the doctors at Wild Cornell were amazing and they, I, I take my hat off to them, Dr. Gupta, who was my personal ophthalmologist. She, I owe her a great deal. She was so amazing and patient, guiding me through the process so well. And she did everything she could until the last moment where it was like, listen, you're either going to be blind with pain or we're going to go in there, do what we can. And hopefully, you know, we get something good out of it. And because they said, I'm still, I was still pretty young. I was like 27, 28. They're like, you, you still have your body on your side in that aspect. So let's mm-hmm. let's see what happens. We got to do this or else it's going to get worse. So I went in, definitely fearful, but very hopeful. Again, thanks to my mother and to, you know, my my strength and my faith. Yeah, I was just going to ask about your faith. Your faith plays it a huge, does. huge it part. It definitely does. And like I said, I, I, don't, I don't always talk about religion much because I know it's a touchy subject out in the world. But, you know, I do believe in the higher power to within God. I do believe that prayer is yeah. a such a powerful thing and we take it for granted sometimes and the more you pray the more you have others praying for you i had my family in los angeles praying i had family in puerto rico praying i had people all over new york praying i had calls coming in and friends and my students and checking up on me praying for me it was such a powerful yet in the weakest of moments i felt so empowered by the love and support i had around me how great is that still exists in 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 it's in indescribable it's indescribable you know you know you're yeah. strong but you don't realize how much your strength comes from those who support you with that said i went into the surgery and it was amazing because literally the next day by the way i'm walking around like a pirate because i got an eye patch on and you know <laughs> i'm getting looks at what the heck is this guy doing but um i take the eye patch off and there was still dry blood, so there's like a ring around my eye. But through the ring, I could see crystal clear. It was crazy. Right. And then, the because it's a one-day, one-week, one-month follow-up, the one day was to take the patch off and to give me drops. The one week, I was already reading 2020 in the left eye. And yeah. it was just phenomenal because even the doctor was like, listen, you're a type 1 and a le- legitimately – brittle type one who just went through a very invasive surgery and in a week your body is pretty much picked up to speed and i'm like listen i don't know what to tell you all i know is thank you (laughs) you know just thank you and a a month later it was like nothing i was back to working out they gave me the go-ahead to train again and you believe me after almost a year of being on and off not being able to work out i gained like 30 35 pounds which to most people, it's not a lot, but to me, it was crazy because I've never been 200 pounds before in my life, mm-hmm. you know? So right. it was just amazing. It was a godsend. It was a blessing. Being conditioned before this terrible thing happened to you helped. Your body was obviously in good it condition. It was. It was in good condition. I was training six days a week, sometimes seven, because I was yeah. on the competition team, which is a traveling team. We were, we were five-time um, world champions, and um, we've won multiple karate competitions all over the world. We traveled to Spain. We traveled to um, Ireland. We've traveled to all over the U.S. And we just made a name for ourselves. And you can't make a name for yourself unless you're diligent in your practice and you're determined and you're focused. And we were training all the time. I was in the gym. I was 
doing acrobatics and gymnastics because that's part of what you have to do. You have to do weapons, acrobatics, gymnastics, and the performances. So we were, our team was totally in shape, always active. And that pushed me to another level where I felt, wow, you know, that can't be stopped. And to an extent, I wasn't wrong, but I needed to go through these obstacles to help me find my way. And, you know, I'm thankful for that because it reminded me of where I need to go, where I need to be. I need to go back to, I can't just go, okay, I got this now. Let me waste this blessing. Let me waste this, you know, miracle that was given. No, now it's time to not only learn from it, invest in it, but to help others learn from it as well. Could you say the higher the obstacle, the higher the opportunity it is for you? Yeah. Yeah. This, the thing is, this obstacle literally almost took me down. And I do believe I'm strong. I do believe I have the support. But when you're sitting there blind and not sure you're going to be able to finish med school, you're not going to be able to get your next degree of black belt. You're not going to be able to, you know, find a person who's going to support that lifestyle. And, that, and that's your lifestyle. Yeah, that, that's definitely. your life there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I work with kids all the time. So my head has always been like, I'm going to have kids for sure. And at that point, I'm like, I'm definitely going to have kids. But it's like, I'm not going to see my child. You know, I'm not going to see them graduate. I'm not going to see them do karate or baseball or acting, or whatever they decide to do. That was rough. That was a rough year of, I went into a depression. I definitely went into a depression. And you wouldn't think that from seeing my my posts and stuff, but oh yeah, and your Instagram yeah. posts definitely not. No, <laughs> you know it took a lot of self motivation and prayer, and it was really hard. But like you said, the bigger the obstacle was, the more worth it was to overcome it. And I'm very blessed. How did you find that extra bit? It was, was it was it through faith? faith? It was, was through, it through my love? mother. It was through my students. You know, I was very blessed that right as it was ending, I I met a young lady who is currently my girlfriend and who has been the biggest support outside of my mother that I've ever had in my life as a diabetic. You know, she reminded me that it can't just be about others, you know, because I get very selfless. I'm very selfless yeah. and not to, I'm not trying to toot my horn or be cocky in any way, but I'm very selfless and I do a lot for others and she's my foundation. She grounds me, reminds me listen, babe, you got to do it for you too. You got to take care of you. How can you support others? How can you support us? How can you, you know, go out there and make a living helping other people if you aren't healthy, if you aren't okay? And I never had that next to me by my side. I never had someone aside, I guess, from my mother who was like, hey, listen, take your sugar level. Hey, you don't look too good. You should sit down. You drink some juice. You know, what's your sugar level? Did you take your insulin? I didn't really have that before. I had, I had people who they were never fake, but they didn't understand it. So they were just like, oh my God, did you have too much sugar? And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and, you know, she understands it. And the thing she doesn't understand, she's willing to learn. She's always asking questions. And she's actually helped me renew my insurance recently. You know, she came at my darkest times to bring more light than I could ever imagine. So we'll need to give her a mention. Yeah, then, so not, come on. She's an amazing woman. woman. She's. Nadia. What's her name? Yeah. Nadia. Big up <laughs> Nadia. Well done. Two big, powerful women. Well, exactly, right? Two you beautiful, want. strong women in your life. You got, I'm a lucky man. I'm a lucky man. So was martial arts your first protocol for fitness? Was that Funny the kind thing of is, thing it wasn't. I was really a baseball, basketball guy. I was all about the sports. And I did it for quite a long time. I did it since I was about five years old. I started baseball. You know, they had, oh, no, 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 Yankees. <laughs> At that age, it was just fun. I loved it. And I just played. And then my father's side of the family, they were all, they were big baseball, basketball, soccer fans. So I got into basketball at a young age watching it. And once I was tall enough to be able to shoot it, I started playing and I just found the passion for it. So I was on teams since I was little. I was in the junior Knicks at the YMCA. I was on the St. Francis teams. I was on, you know, the traveling teams of the Huskies and all these amazing things. And they helped me keep in shape. I didn't start karate until I was 14. So it was later right. in my years that I saw karate. And I only started it because I was watching, it was something Bruce Lee related. And because I, I had watched Enter the Dragon and I loved it. 
Oh, classic. We spent one summer as a kid. It's amazing. I love it. I can watch it a million times and never get bored of it. Oh, man. I think I could write the script for that. I've watched <laughs> yeah, that we got to check, check it out one time. <laughs> oh, I would love a view. And man, I'm going to come yeah, across man, a book and we'll hire a theater. We'll put it so, on the big you know, screen. It was great. And I got really into it. So I started at Shotokan. A little Taekwondo place at the Shotokan as well in 7th Street in Park Slope. And I only stayed there until I was a yellow belt because it was just, I couldn't find the passion. Like, it was fun, but it was more about what you could do to make them better. Like, once you were good, it was like, we're going to highlight you because you're going to kind of take us to the next level. And it's like, what about just making me good so I can be good? You know, like, what about the selflessness of just making me good? Okay. So I stopped that. And about a year and a half later, unfortunately, my mother had lost her job and she wanted to get my brother into something because my brother, I told you, he had asthma and he was always in sports. He didn't like baseball. He tried basketball, didn't like it. He did swimming, but that ended quickly. And down the block from where a friend that I used to live, a karate school was opening up on 14th Street. And my friend was like, hey, your mom's looking for a job and maybe they have a, maybe have a spot for her. So she went in, but she didn't go in with a job idea. She went in trying to get my brother to do something. And the guy, my instructor, Sante Alex, he, you know, took them, did the intro lesson. And along the way, was like, hey, listen, uh, we're also looking for a, a desk manager. So uh, are you interested? And funny thing, next thing's next, and she's working there. So it's actually almost a family business. My mother is still the, is the program director at the school currently. I'm a head instructor there at the school. So it's almost a family-run business, almost. Is it just the one, or you got many schools? Yes. There are three That's in New York. Yeah. There's two in Staten Island, and there's one in Park Slope. And the Park Slope Brooklyn one is the one that my mother and I work at. And how is that? It's beautiful. You know, it's, I get to see my mother every day. We work together. We have a great relationship. We, we understand each other. Um, of course, you know, it can be a conflict of interest sometimes because you look at your mom and it's your mom, you know, and she looks at me and I'm your son, but yeah. we make it work. We make it work and we support each other and we make the best of it and we're helping that school thrive. And it's just, it's an amazing feeling. Is it on the rise, martial arts now? Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, just look in general with the UFC and yeah. Muay Thai, all big things that are growing right now. And with all the martial arts movies and even the superhero movies, the Marvel and DC, they all incorporate some type of martial arts yeah. or all the superheroes incorporate or their backstories about they trained in this martial art. So martial arts is actually a part of everyone's daily life, whether they realize it or not. And when I, I say remember that, the Matrix, the Matrix, the first Matrix, when he, I want to learn martial arts. That yeah. always stuck to my mind as a, a <laughs> movie geek, you know? It was, yeah. if, if only if it could be that easy, yeah? yeah imagine, right? But it's just funny because people out there will say, oh, you're a karate dude. You punch and kick and flip. I mean, they're not wrong, but martial arts isn't about punching, kicking, and flipping. Martial arts is a discipline. Martial arts is self-control, perseverance, spirit, respect, focus. You know, people think that if you can punch, you can do karate, and that's not necessarily true. Anybody can punch. I can teach anyone to punch. I can take anyone off the street. I can go into any school and go, hey, come here. I'll teach karate. But to have the character traits, to build character development, that's martial arts. It's not about the development of technique. It's the development of character. So you've been disciplined from the very early age, and obviously discipline in martial arts goes hand in hand. So you, you it must have felt as if you were kind of made for it. I did. How satis- I did. Yeah, how satisfied are you with yourself and the school now? Uh, amazing. If, you, if you could just do a bit of reflection. Whoa, sure, yeah. Um, so I started in 2005 when the school opened, and it was a slow process because I was kind of following my little brother because he started, and he's amazing, man. His yeah. kicks are ridiculous. He's a, <laughs> he belongs in Cirque du Soleil. Like, this kid right. can contort. It's ridiculous. His kicks are still amazing to this day. And um, I wanted to kind of, like, make my own name. And as I continued training, I just felt this love for it, like this passion that it, it was just fueled only by the martial arts. and Excitement. Yeah, it was just yeah. crazy. And as I got older, I got into teaching. My, my, I had lost my job as well a couple of years later. 
And with that, I was working in a summer camp slash after school program. I always worked with kids my whole life. So the transition to the martial arts wasn't as hard because I, I knew how to work with children. And my my sensei said, hey, look, we have a spot for you if you're interested. I was like, uh, yeah, definitely. And I was actually only a green belt when I started teaching. You're supposed to be at least a red belt, which is like three belts later. But he knew my he knew me. He trusted me. And that relationship still goes on to this day. He trusts me as his right-hand instructor. I'm his head instructor. And I run a lot of the programs. I run programs outside of the school for him. I go into schools and I do things. I have school visits us. Um, I work with the Coney Island Anti-Violence Collaborative as well. We I go out there and I do seminars and events for them to kind of spread the knowledge of martial arts and how imperative it is for people to have a sense of self-awareness and self-defense. So being in the martial arts and starting with America just really made my perspective on teaching and spreading the martial arts grow infinitely. And I'm really, really happy, you know. And it was funny because I, I wasn't sure I was going to be there because of yeah. three years into the training, they sent me over to Sunset Park. We had opened a school in Sunset Park and it was rough. You know, the demographic there isn't great, you know, and it was really hard to be a director, which gave me a humble feeling. I was humbled because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is difficult. How does my sensei do this? This is, this is hard. And what happened, what ended up happening was one of my instructors later on had bought, bought it out and took it over. So I ended up going back to the Park Slope Brooklyn location. And after three years of being in Sunset, I just had a newfound respect and understanding for what it took to run a business and what it took to run a school. So I came back more knowledgeable, more mature, and ready to really do the best I could to grow myself and the students. So you're consuming as much as you can, but also giving it back. Yes, yes, that's so important. So how important is that in a voice of yours? Because you, you've got a fantastic connection to your partner, to your mother, to your brother, to the students. How important is your own inner voice and how often do you listen to it? A lot, a lot, because... You know, we have, we always have internal struggles, internal battles, all of us, no matter who we are. Definitely. I'm I'm sure you can attest to many times you had the the shoulder, you know, you know, your internal voice, it's so powerful, your intuition, which being having two strong women in your life, you learn that theirs is better than yours. But, you know, for me, my intuition was so strong to the point where I trust her now. And that's so hard. That's so hard because anything can happen. You know, you're, you're being guided in so many ways. You have social media, social acceptance. The world is in a phase where we have to. It's so easy to be drowned out actually when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. Like we're all about making, pleasing the world, pleasing everybody, pleasing. If you're not pleasing yourself, you're doing an injustice. If you're not pleasing yourself, ultimately you can't truly keep someone else pleased. And it's hard to come across like that because you put it so brilliantly because we can say things like, uh, how can you love yourself? Uh, if you don't love yourself, how can you love anybody else? If you can't please yourself, how can you please anybody else? Yeah. And it comes down to people who are fixed mindset, and there's a lot of them, and you're classed as egotistical. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you really are just giving back as value, and I think anyone who, which I've mentioned on many of podcasts before, if anyone is in the position to give back, it is your sworn duty. To give back, give back value. Don't. Why, why would you want to hold anything like that in? Which, which I just can't understand. Some people, you know, why hold this value in? Learn the reps are given, and have that such wonderful feeling. It was obviously what you experienced yes. many times over, no doubt. Yeah, many times, and you're absolutely right. It is your duty when you are in a place of enrichment, empowerment. It is yeah. your duty to give back. It's your duty to pay it forward because we're. We pay, we pay people a lot of money to try to put things right and they just make a mess of things, especially yeah. in the UK. Yeah. And I suppose the same in the USA yeah, when yeah. I was saying a lot of it when I was across there. And it was um, there was a lot of mental health issues we seem to be coming to the forefront, you know, and we seem to be dealing with this new thing now, the physical and the mental side and seeing people being ruined. It, it, it's just not good, you know? Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And you're absolutely right between government and religion and, you know, the immigration issues. And there's so many... And that's that's just the surface. There's so many other issues you're oh, dealing yeah. with. This is just 
very much like we're not even in the weeds of that yet and this podcast will not go in the weeds of that because we'll end up probably just <laughs> being really really down about it all Absolutely. so how do you take criticism i used to not take it very well i'm still i'm still a work in progress um yeah i think i've just been in it for so long that you make it's hard sometimes to take criticism or to take advice because you've done it for so long and i feel like more recently I've been humbled again by, again, my two ladies because they remind me that you can know what you know, but there's still more to know to grow, you know, and you need to be able to hear someone else's perspective, even if, even if it's not right, even if it's- Yeah, even if it's 100% wrong, listen. Yeah, you still got to listen. Yeah, we've all got a noise. Yep, you're yeah. right. There's something for you there. It wouldn't be brought to you if there wasn't something for you there. So I feel like no matter what it is or who's coming to you, you have to have an open mind and an open heart. And I actually just posted a quote yesterday on my um, Instagram, and it was just basically saying, we must be sure we are listening to understand, not solely to respond. And that's so important because in this day and age, everybody has something to say, but nobody wants to listen. Everybody has a voice. We all have a voice and we should all be heard. But that's the point. We should all be heard, not just speaking, but we should be heard first. And then we respond with the proper information, with enough knowledge of the person and situation to then be able to give our feedback, give our advice, give our meaning, because everyone's just so busy talking, no one's listening. And I think you think we're listening too much and not enough action? Yeah. You know, how can we take action if we're too busy attacking each other? You know, so I feel like with what I do with my page and what I'm trying to do with my page, I feel like it kind of just gives people hope. It's a beacon of hope. It's a beacon, a reminder that no matter what you're going through, no matter what, whether it's depression, anxiety, immune diseases, you know, mental issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues, there is hope for you. There is something in your life that's going to change. But the first thing that has to change is your perspective, your mindset. When you change your mindset, so many things become open for you. So many doors open. It's your mindset. If you change your mind, you change your outcomes. Can we talk about mindfulness? Yeah, please, of course. Yeah, it's um, it's big, mindfulness. It's huge. It's huge now. And what I find in this first 43 minutes of this podcast is you have not been born in the back foot a little bit, type 1 diabetes. You have not let that past dictate your future. Never. You can't. You know, it's part of me. It's part of my life, so I can't get rid of it. I can't ignore it, but I'm not going to allow it to dictate what I become. Because what, So what's mindfulness to you, Coach? For me, mindfulness is just to be aware of your attitude, to be aware of your perspective on life, on situations. Because we, as humans, it's human nature, we're emotional beings. Even the strongest. Everything's governed by emotions. When you look at it, if you, if you take a good look at it, it is so governed by emotions. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. I agree 100%. You know, and because we're emotional beings, we tend to react off of emotion, which isn't always bad. But sometimes through that emotion, we start to lose our thought, our train of thought. We start to lose our steady train of thought. And because of that, we're no longer thinking, we're just feeling. And it's nothing wrong. Do you think there's too much out there? Do you think, think now for consumption? I, I, I want to be careful with that because we don't want to lose our sense of humanity. But we have to combine an even amount of thought and feeling. Our yeah. brain and our hearts have Perfect. to work at the same time or work together or work off of each other. If we're only using one, we're only going to get halfway to, the, to our goals, if at all. So I, I stay very mindful of that. I stay very mindful of thought, think about it, feel it, or feel it, then think about it. How can I debrief this? How can I break this down and make this better? What can I do to make sure, even in relationships, you know, with my mom or my girlfriend or my brother, you know, of course there's little tidbits here and there, little, you know, arguments here and there. Because when you love someone, that's just what happens. You know, that's just what happens. <laughs> the rules go out the window that way. <laughs> yep, it does. <laughs> so I, 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 even my girlfriend laughs at me sometimes because it's like, how can you think? How can you stop and think? And I was like, because I have to, because I know that I'm a very stubborn man. I'm a very stubborn. <laughs> I, I think of my emotions all the time. So my buffer are my thoughts. 
What's going to happen? If I do this, what's going to happen? And it sounds so simple. Come on, think about it. It sounds yeah. so simple. It's, it's easy. No, it's not though. Because emotions are hella strong. They're so strong. It's very difficult to let your mind or thoughts become a buffer because your emotions are so overpowering. But if we can just take a quick second and just think, if I say this, what's going to be the end result? If I do this, yeah. what's going to happen? What's the consequence? And what if I incorporate that into my fitness life? If I go to the gym for just an hour, what's going to happen? I'm going to want to go again and again and again. What if I don't eat that two pieces of cake and just have one? You know, what if I, <laughs> yeah, you know, what if I have a salad with tuna instead of that burger? And it doesn't mean you can't have the burger. Listen, I, I eat. I, I eat. <laughs> yeah, you could own it. Yeah. That's what I believe in. If we can't go in a cave, yeah. no. and, you know, and, and keep ourselves there, we, we just can't do it. And sometimes you think, yeah, if you want that, if you want them two bits of cake, obviously yeah, you know. want it. Get back in, eat, eat clean yeah, the rest of the days day. for a reason, you know. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, Thank God. You, you understand <laughs> me on that one, for sure. You know? Yeah. But totally. it's just thought, you know, put that thought. If I'm arguing with someone and I say this, that might hurt them. And hurting them is not the goal. My goal was to be understood. My goal was to have my point come across. And if I have to hurt you to have my point come across, there's something wrong with me, you know? Mm-hmm. You take yeah. a look at yourself, yeah. It's like the ego thing. It's how you react if someone says something to you. And we've all flew off the handle, and I've done that many a times. But now I realize it's like most of it is, is yeah. my reaction to to this to the situation. If I just let it drop, then, it, then yeah, that, that's it's a, it's a good way. Take a stoic approach, most definitely. if I'm honest. Most definitely. Which, which has changed things. And you see you're in tune very much emotionally. Has that made you more vulnerable? It has. It definitely has. I want to say in... Especially in business and love, <laughs> you know, like love and war, basically. Um, it's made me vulnerable to an extent. I know in my past, I've fallen prey to emotion because my faith and my emotion were so strong that it clouded my judgment and my, my, my thoughts, you know, and my intuition. That's the biggest thing. Sometimes your emotions are strong. They cloud your intuition. And when that happens, you're going down cloudy road yeah you know and i definitely let that happen a few times in past relationships you know i let my love and emotion and my want to make it work cloud what was really happening in front of me it wasn't like it was right yeah yeah it was clouding the vision yeah uh-huh. and it was probably such a, such a simple thing that was happening it was which you weren't aware of yeah yeah and i wasn't aware and it was like wow i knew and the thing is you knew it was happening but yeah. you were so guided by your love for the person and emotion that you allowed yourself to fall prey to the obvious. So, but then it also goes back to, like you said earlier, learning from it, you know, and I learned that everyone can teach me something. I have yeah. to learn from everybody. It's everyone learning just that little bit, isn't it? It's not learning a great deal. It's just learning that little bit. Yeah. And that what you find is the little bit you learn is the simple thing, but nine times out of 10, it is the essential thing. It is. It most definitely is. And I realize that so much. And, Right now, um, I feel myself learning a great deal in all areas of my life, in business and love and my fitness and my health. You know, I post things and I'm getting a lot of great feedback, especially on Instagram. Fantastic. Are they your own quotes, by the way, on Instagram? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're stunning. Um, there are some that I've kind of twisted ones that I've heard myself. So yeah. I kind of twist it in a way where it kind of reflects upon me or my situation. If you could have one of your quotes where you wake up first thing in the morning, it's on your bedroom door. So it's the kind of the first thing you see, which quote would you love to put on the door? Oh man, that's rough. That's a hard one. I have. Is it loaded? I have hundreds of quotes. Um, yeah. Wow. That's tough. Yeah, if it's still loaded, it's fine. You know, Ricky. You know, I, I think I want to say there's one I wrote about diabetes. Um, I'm not a victim of circumstance. I'm a warrior of my fate. Right. And waking up every day with diabetes, but realizing that I have a bigger mission at hand. It drives me because I'm not. Would that then push your diabetes to become background noise, which is an art? Yeah, it has. Yeah, you know? that's stunning. That. That's fantastic. Yeah, I can sit there and go, oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what is poor me going to do? What is poor me going to get from that? You know, fate doesn't favor those who kind of pity themselves. And I feel like it's really up to us 
to find what's going to bring us out of that darkness. Because listen, depression is real. Anxiety is real. It is not something to make fun of. It is not something to take lightly. It is very, very real. As a man who's dealt with it, as a man yeah. who loved ones who deal with it, have dealt with it for a very long time, it is very real. So I am never, ever going to knock it or say it's not a thing. But what I do need to say is, in that state, we have to find an anchor. We have to find some anchor. Front and center. Yeah, yeah a person, a place, a thing, a goal, something that has enough strength and pull to bring us to the light or enough light to guide us through the way. Shall we pick the good things in life and be aware of those angers? Because somewhere along the line, there are, there are good things that's happened to us. Society now, especially the news, seems to cherry pick the bad things. We can't measure stress. No. And stress is a killer. It is. So we've all got a coping and what it is, it's a it's a bespoke coping mechanism that we needed to we need to discover. So we're back we're back now to ourselves. We're back now to our inner voice, enlightening ourselves and consuming it and giving back. It, it starts with the, the platforms yourself. Yes. Yes, it is. It definitely is. It it starts with you. Everything around you starts with you. Another loaded question here. You may need time to think about this, Coach Ricky. What's your definition of value? Oh, man. <laughs> and that's okay as well. No, or we could say, what's your definition of world class? Yeah, we'll go with that one. What's your definition of world class? World class. Uh, no, I mean, value too. Value is all right too. Um, value. Well, once again, I have to reiterate that we create value. We determine value. But I think more of the priority of our values is where we kind of fall short. Right. And mm -hmm. value is created through an immense ambition, care, or even the opposite. Sometimes negative. You value something through its negativity. And I just feel like your self-worth, your self-value is just what's going to guide you down any path, good or bad. And if you ask anyone who's been through hard times or has self-inflicted any hard times upon themselves, you know, through bad choices or which you all have, we all have. Oh, have we not? Yeah, definitely. So, but you'll, they'll always tell you, I found myself. Yeah. They'll always, that, that's part of everyone's testimony who's ever been through something terrible. I, I even, I said it earlier. I found who I was. I found myself because we lose ourselves. And now society makes it even harder to be who you are because everyone's judging you for who you are or who you're not. And you're getting likes by people who you'll never meet in your life. Yeah. And you're thinking, why well, you like that one? What did you not like that one for? And you're thinking it does play on your mind. It's a, uh... It, is it a connection? Is it, have I got access to Coach Ricky or have I got a connection to Coach Ricky via Instagram? You yeah. know, and now I've got this fantastic connection now with a podcast, which I can't thank you enough for. No, and it feels man. so yeah, good. Now I'm going to look at your Instagram in a completely different context. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Jason, man. You you and your, your, your mission, I love it. You know, this is an amazing thing. I thank think you. that this is something that the world needs to hear. Everyone needs to hear. Oh, thank you very you much. Know, I've, I've listened to so you think life, does, does life change with action? It does. It, yeah. it, it's action. Talk is cheap. Talk will get you so far. Your thoughts will only get you so far. You know, thoughts are really nothing without action. Because it's exactly. in your head. Because we've got thoughts and your friends have got thoughts and they've got thoughts about what you're thinking. Yeah. And that's so easy to be drowned out. And you can lose it. You could see it, right? My ambition was always to, to make films, to, to be a visual effects artist. Not knocking anybody around us, not knocking any friends or nothing like that. But there was no, well, you're not going to do that. Now, if you had a lot of people telling you you can't do that, that's not going to happen. You'll, you'll lose back again the inner voice. Yeah. Make sure that's turned up to 10. Never lose focus on that, which I never did. Yeah. I always kept on going up, turning up, because it was trying to be drowned out by people around us. Who meant well, do you know? These weren't bad people. Of course. But they meant well. But then again, I was listening to it and it makes, it actually gives you a fear of judgment. It does. It creates. Where, where nothing can get done and action stops. It does. Most definitely. So then, right, out of martial arts, we're out of fitness, we're out. What fuels Coach Ricky outside of all that? What fuels me out of all that? A future. A future. Yeah. Creating yeah. an empire. My, I always tell everybody that. 
whenever my friends text me or call me, hey, Ricky, what you up to? Building my empire. <laughs> Building my empire. I want to open up my own location. Um, I want it to be mixed with fitness and martial arts. Yeah. And uh, I want to just continue doing what I'm doing on my media platforms and hoping that with my hard work and support that I'm able to take this to a global level. Have you got a time frame for this? Well, or have you set yourself a time In the frame? next year, I want to already have my location. Wow, in the next 12 months. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, ambitious. A, I'm a hard worker, man. I, I want something. There's nothing that's going to stop me. My girlfriend knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if it's in the year, I want to have my look, my vocation picked out. And uh, within the next five years, I want to definitely have a channel, you know. And from there, you know, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. What could you suggest to, to someone who wants to get into martial arts or, or, or even even easier, what wants to take more action? What would be the first step you would suggest to these guys? Plan it. Planning is everything. When you don't plan, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. No, and it's very true. It's a quote amongst the business world that we all follow. You know, sit down, write it down. You know, um, also don't share with everyone. Don't share your ideas with everybody because not everybody's on your side. And be very careful with who you invest your passion into Mm -hmm. because like you said earlier, you know, they weren't bad people, but they were kind of steering you off the path that you wanted to be on. We feel burned. I felt burned. Yeah. Fitness, meditation, mindfulness. This is not a a two week course. It's not a four week course. This is not a 12 month subscription. This is, this is long-term life. life, Lifelong, lifelong. It certainly is. Hey, you got any good hustle, health hustle tips for the show? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm probably going to reiterate a lot of things that everybody says, but, you know, try to work out at least three to four times a week. You know, stay stay consistent. That's really the biggest thing. Yeah. I can sit here and preach all the things that I do and people get done, but nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear meal prep and all that, because it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So stay consistent, plan it out. And remember why you're doing it. Remember whether it's for your kids, for your significant other. It should be for yourself. But sometimes, again, not everybody has that strength yet to make it for them. So until you build that strength, find that anchor, make it happen. Find your why, find your purpose, find the passion. Definitely. Would that be cool to see? I love it. I love it. Coach Ricky, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Coach Knight, um, Knight's Code Fitness. Coach Knight at Nice Code Fitness. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And um, I'm located in Brooklyn, New York, Park Slope, at um, American Karate Studios. And I do personal training. I do karate training. I do fitness and Muay Thai training. So, uh, yeah, I would love to hear from anyone who is interested in changing their life for the better. What an exceptional human being you are. I appreciate that, man. Same to you. Wow. Wow, man, Coach Ricky. And this is the beginning. We're going to get you on the show plenty of times. I, so. I look forward to it, Carl. You've been amazing to talk to. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's a learning curve for myself as well. Like, so sometimes you think, oh, what can I ask? What You know, you yeah. don't want to upset anybody. It's the last thing. I've, I think I've done plenty of that in the past anyway with people. So <laughs> not, not intentionally, like, but it's like what we said, you know, if, if we couldn't learn, if we couldn't learn from failure, that was one of the things, you know, failing and everything, you know, but, you know, you learn from it. And it's been a great teacher. You have been the most absolutely humbling, just great experience. has been what a fantastic guest to have on yourself, you know. So my just best wishes for the future for you. We'll be hearing from you again. Is there any shout out you would like to say to anybody out there? Uh, I just want to shout out all the type 1, type 2, all the diabetics, all the people dealing with something that no one knows about. All the people dealing with a mental, spiritual, emotional, physical burden that no one knows about or that people know about but just really can't comprehend i want to shout all of you out it's a new day and you made it if you hear this you made it i'm proud of you keep pushing and keep fighting absolutely wow my new yeah, friend yeah man you're my man you're my yeah. man yeah 
You're Tell well, you, come down here. Honestly, from the, oh, I'll be, I'll, yeah, yeah. We actually spoke about heading down to Brooklyn next year, New York and Brooklyn area. I love yeah, man. I'm a massive LCD sound system fan, you know, oh. so they, they holler around there and, you know, I love what you guys did, the rise of hip hop and everything. You know, it's such a, such a great culture you've got going sure. down there and, you're, you're tearing up the boroughs brilliantly and you're going to make a massive name for yourself. And I'm kind of coming in at ground level with you. So I'm going to look forward to watching you grow with great intent. Right back at you. Right back so at you. A huge respect from the YHH show. Best of luck. And we'll speak soon, yeah? I look forward to it. All the best Thank of luck to much. you guys. Thanks, man. See you soon, Coach Ricky. Bye. Definitely take care. Thanks for listening to the show. We love having you here. Stay subscribed to stay healthy. Your Health Hustle Show provides.